the gospel comes to us today from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed. When, they come, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start with a question this morning, which is not a question that I came up with. All week long, I'll spend time listening to different professors, different uh, theologians, and reading different commentaries. And this is a question that comes from our Catholic bishop, Catholic Bishop Robert Barron. He asked this profound question directly out of this text this morning. He asks... Do you love God, or do you love the benefits of God more? I'll ask that again. Do you love God, or do you love the benefits of God more? You see, in our text this morning, we have Peter, we have the disciples, we have Jesus. There they are, and and at Mount Tabor has happened, this transfiguration moment where Peter, John, uh, John, and James, they get to see Jesus there in all of his glory with Moses and Elijah. And there Jesus is just radiating with divine light. And at, at this time, they enter back down the hillside, back into the ministry. And for Jesus, his, his face, his mindset, his heart, he is set on Jerusalem. As the gospel will go on, we'll hear the, these great debates of John and James separating themselves from the rest of the disciples in their mindset by debating who's going to be at Jesus' right and who's going to be at his left. And of course, Peter always has this idea that he is the head of the pack, so to speak. And so now Jesus, here in this time as they approach Jerusalem, he begins to tell them. He tells them of his suffering that is to come. He tells them what must take place, what must transpire, that he is going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Notice the rise again part does not click in his ears. He hears the suffering and the death, and it's where Peter pulls Jesus aside. Hey, Lord, Rabbi, come here, come here. I, we need to talk about this. How dare you foreshadow that you are going to suffer and die? You are the Messiah. In fact, just in the verses leading up to this, I, Peter, I have declared you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. So how can you tell me now that you are going to enter into suffering and death when you are the one to save the world? 
And what is Jesus' response? He doesn't just keep it right there between him and Peter. He turns to all of his disciples and those who are listening, and then he looks at Peter, and he rebukes Peter in return, and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are fixated on the ways of man, not on the ways of God. In Hebrew, the word Satan or Satan means the great opposer. What he is declaring to Peter is that you are standing in opposition of me. You are missing the point. You are in opposition of what I have come to do. And some theologians would say that in this moment, even Peter himself is demonic in his mindset of what it is that he thinks he's called to do as well. And so Jesus looks at him, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are set on the ways of man, not on the ways of God. I think Peter, on the best of days, on the best of days is tuned in into this ministry and, and what Jesus is up to. In the best of days, he's tuned into these miracles and he's listening to the sermons. He's listening to Jesus preach and set people free in their hearts and in their minds with the gospel message that is to come, that is going to be revealed down in Jerusalem. On the best of days, Peter is with him. On the worst of days, I think Peter, just like the rest of us, find finds himself wondering about the benefits that are going to come of this relationship. The benefits of God in our lives. I think many of us throughout our lives, we, we oftentimes identify ourselves with the benefits of God. Amen? We identify ourselves with the benefits of our children. We love our children. The benefits of opportunities, vocational opportunities to, to have a good job, to work. And on the best of days, we'll say, I'm working for God. I'm working for the glory of the kingdom. On the worst of days, I'm working for the paycheck, right? The benefits of God. This weekend, I, last night as people were coming in the doors, Pastor Craig, this is just a beautiful day. This morning, as people are coming through the doors, we are set for a beautiful day, Pastor. Thank you for channeling God on that forecast. No, do not give me the credit. I didn't ask for that. Why? Because yesterday, my wife and I were joking. We saw two boys rolling by on their rollerblades outside, and Carmen goes, this is February. It's supposed to be winter. Put the rollerblades away. She was at a weak moment. <laughs> I'm not telling you Carmen genuinely loves winter, but she's tired of the confusion. And with it all comes all the sickness, the flu. Our, our youngest, she's at home. I guess as of this morning, she threw up eight times. It was on counting as I was leaving the door. It's confusing time, amen? And in the sufferings that come of this world, in the challenges we face in the world, in the blessings that come with this world, oftentimes we slip into this mindset of what I dare say is the idolatry of us loving the benefits of God rather than being in love with God. The last couple weeks have been crazy at best. The last few months have been absolute chaos. I lift up in prayer daily so many of our families that are functioning in absolute crisis mode right now. In my nearly 14 years as a pastor, the last five, six months have been more chaotic than the previous 13 years combined. 
almost daily are phone calls, emails, people seeking advice with addictions, domestic violence, the chaos, abuse, nonstop. And I find us writhing in the pain, writhing in the suffering, and absolutely clinging to what we once called the benefits of God, rather than trusting and placing our faith solely in God. At the heart of it, at the heart of it, is us setting our lives, setting our kids, setting our grandkids on pedestals and the expectations and the hopes that we have. And it's always done, of course, with right intentions. But we set it on pedestals to the point in which they themselves are becoming the idols we worship at times. And dare I say, dare we be reminded that everything is given and everything is also taken away. The last couple weeks have also been a lot of messages about people being diagnosed with, with real difficult sickness. And we lift them up in prayer. We hold them in prayer. Our prayer list would probably be half a mile long, but so many of these families, they're in private mode right now. We respect that. We care for that. And those of us that have knowledge of that, we hold in prayer. Uh, and we do that at fa and we hold fast. Why? Because we pray for peace. We pray for hope. We pray for care and healing hands. But again, we err on the side at times of the idolatry of life, the blessings of God, rather than the love of God himself. Our gospel continues. Again, we have Peter fixated on the blessings that come with God, and, and then he called the crowd to him, and Jesus again, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, this is one of those trying pieces in this gospel, too. This gospel is so packed with pieces. Each verse of this gospel lesson could have its own sermon in and of itself. And maybe that's what I should just do. But right now, we're just trying to unpack the pieces. When Jesus says that anyone that wants to follow me must take up their cross and do so, automatically our minds shift to this, oh, it's something I've got to do, it's something I'm going to accomplish, it's some movement I'm going to be a part of, it's some sort of justice piece that I'm going to accomplish, and that is time and again missing the mark. Because when we hear Jesus say, you must pick up your cross and follow me, and then we actively think we can do something with that, we're putting ourselves back into the law, never satisfying the law of our, for ourselves and certainly not satisfying the law for God. How do we know that? Because Peter himself will err time and again. When we think that this is that moment where Peter is on the crux of failing, oh no, he's got many more opportunities, amen? That cock will crow when he denies even knowing Jesus, amen? We too, no matter how hard we try to get it right, 
no matter how many public statements and prayers we're going to make about this is what the church can do to solve the world's problems, we are going to err time and time again because what we are doing is, again, we're taking our titles, we're taking our premise, and we're creating an identity around that. We're creating an identity that clings to the benefits that come with God, the benefits of our faith called Christianity. And we're substituting that instead of our love and trust in the God, in Jesus, in his name, mercy. Jesus says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. What does Jesus mean by that? The whole premise of where Jesus is going, the whole premise of his journey to Jerusalem, his whole piece of suffering and rejection, being spit on, being slapped across the face, being nailed to the cross, the whole premise of that is for the forgiveness of our sins. And so often in our love for the benefits of God, we would rather reject the idea that I have sin. We'd rather reject the idea that I need correction. We'd rather reject the idea that God has truly come for me and exchange it for what I can do, for exchanging it for me picking up my cross, thinking that I can do it better. Martin Luther said that when the gospel is preached, it will comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. One of the most challenging tasks that a preacher has is to publicly declare our sin. It's why we begin every single worship service with us confessing our sin and then the pastor absolving us of our sin, which also means that we must declare that we are sinful sinners. Amen? Now, for, so, for those of us who are deeply, profoundly suffering, and maybe sometimes our suffering we know that is very much a part of choices that we have made to be declared forgiven, to be told your sin is no longer your identity, and that identity is met at the cross and you need to let that go. In fact, that is let go for you. That is good news. That is where peace comes into the soul. But for those of us that are massively in, in love with the benefits of God, so much so that we are on that ladder on our way to heaven with our cross on our back that we think we've got to attain the possibility, we hear the forgiveness of sin as an insult. How dare you, Lord, call me a sinner? I'm not a sinner. I've got it figured out. I've got my cross, and I'm going to bear it, Lord. Dr. Krogan, he preached here this fall. He's one of our guys from Luther House. He said it best this week in one of his podcasts. He said, if I'm ashamed, he's reflecting on the last part of our gospel lesson this morning. If I'm ashamed of being declared a sinner and I try to deny it, then God's word means nothing to us. We might as well say, Christ, I don't need you. That's that battle that Peter is in. That's the conundrum that we all find ourselves in on a daily basis. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, 
trusting in his mercy, trusting in his forgiveness, embracing that gospel message and taking it out of these doors and sharing it with others and helping them hear that good news. Trust me, brothers and sisters in Christ, it puts Christ's cross on your shoulders and you will bear it. Why? Because the world is is in love with the benefits of God's creation more than they're in love with God. But not the Easter people. Not the gospel hearers today. Not us as we journey our Lenten journey, knowing that mercy, God's mercy, is enough. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite those who